Hey guys, welcome to the sixth episode of Slashic Horror. I'm your host, Leroy Cross James, and today I want to talk to you about a film and sequel that I personally feel is extremely underrated and undervalued. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with 1960s slashic classic, Psycho, the story of a woman named Marion Crane who runs off with a vast amount of money and stops off at the isolated Bates Motel. There she meets the shy young hotel owner, Norman Bates, who seems to have a couple of mummy issues. And unfortunately, Marion feels the wrath of Mother when she's stabbed to death by her in the shower. Or is it Mother? Time will tell. Later, when Marion's boyfriend Sam and her sister Lila come to the Bates Motel, we learn that Mother is actually long dead, and it's, it was Norman dressed as his deceased mother who murdered Marion. Now, Psycho is an iconic film, not only for its twist ending, its strong performances from Anthony Perkins and Janet Leigh, but also because of Bernard Herrmann's shrill-stringed musical score. And Psycho is dubbed as being one of the first slasher movies ever made, after Peeping Tom, and it was based on a novel by Robert Block. So, of course, inevitably, during the slasher boom, we got a sequel, and that was released in 1983, Psycho 2. And in this one, Perkins reprises his role of Norman and returns to the Bates Motel after leaving the institution, where he's haunted by the memories of his past. Now, the twist in this one is that Marion's sister, sister Lila and her daughter Mary have been tormenting him by dressing up as mother, and there's a couple of murders that happen, and we assume that once we find out the reveal that it's them who's done it, until... At the end, it comes to light that Norman isn't cured at all, and that Norma Bates wasn't even his mother. It was a woman called Emma Spool, who he hits over the head with a shovel at the end of Psycho 2, and the cycle begins again with him impersonating Mother. Now, for me, personally, with Psycho 2, I think it's a good continuation of Norman's story, However, I feel it takes away some of the mythology of Psycho, the original film, and what we learn about Norma, and I feel like it kind of discards that just to have Norman back in that scenario with more of a intention to, to kill now that he knows who his real mother is, and I don't know, for me it's just... it. It's not the type of sequel I would have wanted to Psycho. And when I, when I first watched it when I was a kid, um, it was on it was on TV and I enjoyed it. But it doesn't even have like any of the, of the score in it. I think it has a couple of flashbacks to the original Psycho, but that's about all that we get with that one, unfortunately. Now, not long after the sequel in 1986, they ended up releasing another follow-up, Psycho 3. And this time, it was actually directed by Anthony Perkins. And in this one, it follows a nun called Maureen Coyle, who leaves her convent, and she ends up at the Bates Motel. And Maureen reminds Norman a lot of Marion Crane, and he has this conflict between his, his real feelings for Maureen and the feelings of Mother. While all this is going on, a journalist called Tracy is trying to prove that Norman's still unstable and has killed again, and she digs into his past where they actually reverse the idea that Emma Spool was his real mother. Um, it just turns out that she was his aunt and that she had her own mental health issues and murdered people and ended up kidnapping Norman. And 
it just becomes, as a film, I feel it becomes very messy and complicated and it doesn't do the franchise any favours. For me, it it was a box-ticking exercise to cater to the commercial trend of slasher movies, but even when it was released, the slasher boom had completely died down, which was what probably contributed to it being a financial and commercial disaster. So it's it's one sequel that I'm not particularly fond of. Um, you know, there's some homages to Hitchcock's work in it, which are in a nice touch, or especially Vertigo, but it does come across a little bit gimmicky at times as well. However, in 1990, during the special retrospective series on Psycho, Psycho 4 was broadcast on Showtime as a TV movie. And in this one, Perkins reprises his role as Norman for the last time and is joined by a post-ET Henry Thomas as the young Norman Bates. He's also joined by Black Christmas's Olivia Hussey as Mother, a.k.a. Norma Bates. It was directed by Mick Garris and it was also written by Psycho's original screenwriter, Joseph Stefano. Now, Stefano completely ignores the mythology of the previous sequels, especially with Emma Spool. And he goes back to basics with Norma's Norman's relationship with Mother, thank God. And it just works up better all around as a prequel slash direct sequel to the original film. Now, some have argued that with the, the number four being in the title, it acts as a continuation of Psycho 3. And it could work as that, I suppose. But really, if if you're going into this film, just I would personally disregard Psycho 2 and Psycho 3 and just think of it as a direct continuation of the first film. Now, in the movie, one night while Norman's being a domestic god, making dinner for his birthday while his wife Connie's working, he listens to a radio show where the topic of conversation is boys who kill their mothers. And he phones into the show's host, Fran Ambrose, played by CCH Pounder, under the alias of Ed which is a nice touch considering Robert Block was inspired by Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainfield, when he wrote Psycho, so that's who Norman Bates was based on. And Ed explains that he killed his mother and that he'll have to kill again. And he begins telling Fran about the first girl he killed after he murdered his mother. Now, this is just going by IMBD, but... It's been said that for the flashback scenes with the younger Norman, they were going to film them in black and white as a homage to the original film. But honestly, I'm so glad that they didn't because I think it would have been too gimmicky. We also get to see the famous Bates house as well before it became this run-down gothic house on a hill that we all know and love. And I think that some of that beautiful imagery would have got lost if they'd, if they'd gone uh, down the black and white route with, with the flashback scenes. And as a young Norman as well, Henry Thomas does a great job and he plays him as the shy, quiet boy next door we first saw with Perkins in 1960. And what's perfect about having him play Norman as a 15-16-year-old is that not only is he dealing with the psychological damage of his mother's abuse and struggles with her own mental health, but we see him as a teenager who's going through his own sexual awakening. And this is something that they touch upon in the... Bates Motel TV series with Freddie Highmore and Vera Famiga. And for, for me, but I'll, I'll touch briefly on that TV series while we're on the topic, topic. I like it, but it's very much soapy drama rather than the horror aspect that I guess we're all used to. And it, it does have some nice ideas in there, and I feel like they 
a lot of it obviously is inspired by the original Psycho, of course it is, but I feel like a lot of the ideas they have in there, they must have seen Psycho 4. Because the film does deal with some incestuous undertones, which are a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> um, I must admit. But the way that it's portrayed, like the dynamic between Norman and his mother, Norma, it just... It's just something that's very uncomfortable about their relationship. It's more akin to something that you'd see in the V.C. Andrews novel, basically. Now, take from this what you will, because it's probably going to make me sound a little bit weird. But one thing I really love about this movie is the way it uses the psychosexual tension between Norman and Norma. I just feel like when it comes to the conclusion and the origins of how Norman Bates came to be the way that he is, you know, with his homicidal tendencies towards, especially towards women, it explains quite a lot. And I feel like it's an, it's an organic conclusion to come to if you, if you see this film. So we have to remember that Norman Bates, his trigger is sex or sexual attraction. And that comes from, you know, his mother's, um, his mother's voice of reasoning if you will within his head like that's how she comes out when he's triggered by his own sexual desires and this film does a good job of explaining that a little bit and it shows how with Norman being you know an only child and only having his mother obviously Norman's a single mother so there's an absence of the father that his ideals of women are naturally going to come from his mum and within this she there's a, a particular particular scene there's two actually but there's one particular scene where we see norman climb into bed with norma after at her insistence after she also insists that he strips off to his briefs and while they're cuddling up in bed while it's thundering and lightning outside he gets a boner runs away and then she finds his porno magazine and makes him throw it into the rubbish after calling him dirty, disgusting, all this sort of stuff. And then just as easily forgives him. So there's like that confusion, especially being a teenager and coming of age, that confusion of, you know, sexual is sexual identity, is sexual feelings towards women. And naturally it goes down that Freudian route where he... he clearly has this attraction to Norma and in some weird way it's kind of implied that that those feelings are reciprocated from Norma to Norman as well and she just uses her her spitefulness to convey that her you know her cruelness and again this is ideas that um, I think inspired Bates Motel the TV series. And Vera Famiga's performance as Norma in the TV show, it's very subtle and there's only like the odd crack of her, um, you know, her, her, how unstable that she is. Whereas with Olivia Hussey in Psycho 4, she just takes it straight to level fucking 11 and it works. I don't know how, but it works. And yes, sometimes it can border on being campy, um, not to the height of Faye Dunaway in uh, Mommy Dearest as Joan Crawford, but... Olivia Hussey's portrayal of Norma in this is very much mommy dearest. There's also that scene uh, where Norman massages Norma uh, with some um, with some oil, and she it seems like she's provoking him, and um, he's obviously very turned on by the experience. 
and they end up play fighting on the floor. But this time, when he gets an erection, he gets an erection while he's on top of her, and she just completely blows up and goes fucking nuts. She makes him dress up um, in a dress, puts lipstick on him, starts calling him Norma. So it's kind of like that mental castration, or that not even just of, of his manhood, but the idea of sex being dirty, like it's really embedded into him in that scene where she ends up locking him in the closet with just a jug, telling him the only thing he should be using his penis for is to, to piss from, or as she says, wee-wee, which is, again, it makes it makes some scenes in this, the way that she speaks to him, very uncomfortable. And I just feel like that that version of Norma is more authentic and more believable than Vera's portrayal as Norma. But even though Norma does these terrible things to Norman, it, it kind of feels like there's some sort of, you know, some sort of Stockholm Syndrome with the way that he's in this little bubble with his mother and it's fine because it's just those two, but it all comes crashing down when Norma starts seeing a guy called Chet and their relationship it is very sexual and Norman witnesses them having sex and in fact, every time that we see Chet, more or less, other than one one scene, he's either not dressed or he's in a robe, which, you know, it's kind of like that rubbing in the face of Norman that this person's having sex with his mother. And it's also like that, you know, that replacement of the father figure, even though there's nothing, um, there's nothing fatherly about Chet at all other than he's just very much into Norma um, and when they plan to get married obviously he's going to move in it's going to be part of the household and it just becomes too much for Norman and his mother gets crueler and crueler um, with the encouragement of Chet as well so this is when Norman decides to poison both of them so that's how he ends up killing Norma. That's how Mother eventually dies. Um, but it's it's a bit of a weird a bit of a weird bittersweet moment because I would have expected a bit I would have expected a bit more of an emotional reaction out of Norman after he does it. But instead he just kind of stands there and watches her die um while she's choking to death on her own vomit. And I think that's the only only thing I wish that they gave a little bit more to more attention to on this film. I feel like it, it should have been a bit more um bit more of an emotional emotional climax to Norma's end. But in the present day we have Norman dealing with the idea that he's going to be a father. Um, he finds out that Connie is pregnant and that she'd stopped taking the pill and the agreement was when they got married that they wouldn't have children because he was scared that um, he would pass on his own issues to um, any future children that he does have, and it comes it comes across that he's very you know it triggers a lot of those memories about you know his maternal upbringing with Norma again, and that's probably why um, he has this urge to kill. What I really love about the structure of the film Psycho Four as a whole is those segments with the talk show host. I just think that the the they just work really well to tell the story and I think it was a clever idea to have have it and probably at the time very much of a modern way of telling the story 
about Norman's um, Norman's upbringing rather than having him be with like you know in an institution with a doctor. I just think the idea of him being married and um, I'll loosely quote this cured it just works better all around as a narrative. And of course, Anthony Perkins doesn't disappoint as Norman. At the end of the day, he's the original actor. It's his character. He knows this character inside out. And it's one thing I will give to the other sequels as well, is that Anthony Perkins is always consistent as Norman. And, you know, it's that reliability on him. And I think this is why this being his final time portraying Norman, it, it was the perfect way to end the franchise. Uh, I mean, sadly, Anthony Perkins died a few years later from um, complications with HIV and, um, you know, he was a a fantastic actor. I mean, difficult, um, as Mick Garris has said, even when working with him on this, um, he was difficult to work with, but... Um, you know, he's not the probably not the first person to say that. Um, you know, it's it's no secret that Anthony Perkins was a bit of a bit of a, a diva when it came to his roles. But one thing he he did say was that he really liked this film, and um, I believe it was his fa- his favorite out of all the Psycho sequels. And you know, I can see why. It's just such for me. It's just the ultimate sequel to Psycho. And yeah, okay, it's flawed. It's not entirely perfect, but. It just seems to me that it's the better film out of out of the franchise after the original. So with this being the conclusion to the Psycho franchise, the way that it goes about making this the end is that Norman Bates tells Fran Ambrose that he is going to kill his wife and he ends up going back to Mother's house where he tells Connie to meet him. And while he's there, he intends to intends to kill her but after a little bit of a chase scene she manages to talk him down and remind him that he's not the person he was and he's not the person that his mother um made him out to be and turned him into so he comes around to the idea that he's finally free of mother but to finally be free of her he decides that he's going to burn down the Bates home now with this scene, we get um, we get visions of the characters that are in the film while he burns down the house, while Norman burns down, burns down the house. The only thing that disappoints me about this, and I, and I, under, I could do understand it, because they probably wanted to keep it contained with just the characters that are in the film. So we get um, Norman seeing visions of the first girl that he killed, uh, the second girl that he killed, Chet, his mother. But... I would have liked to have seen Marion or, and I understand why they obviously couldn't do that, but maybe have like, you know, a a homage to that. Because it's really, other than there's one scene where Norman cuts himself and um, he watches the blood go down the, uh, down the plug hole. This is the only sequel where there isn't any um, homages to Norman's psycho, um, Norman's shower kill in the original Psycho. And it's kind of it's a bit disappointing, I must admit. I would have liked to have seen something that references that um, more than just the blood going down the plug hole. And I feel like Marion was a big part of the franchise, so maybe they could have had something or somebody like a stand-in that would have, you know, would have imitated her being there. But anyway, that that's something else that I find quite disappointing. But he burns down the house and... The Bates home is no more, and he's finally free of mother. 
And the last shot is of Mother's rocking chair in the fruit cellar swinging while the cellar doors close and uh, Mother's voice is shouting, get me out of here, Norman, blah, blah, blah. And then over the credits, weirdly, we hear the sound of a baby crying. Now, there were rumours that they were going to make a Psycho 5 with Norman's son, but that apparently that was never in the works and it never, never came to fruition. So I think I don't know whether it was just an idea that might have been toyed around with at some point or whether it was just a fan rumour, but um, I'm kind of glad that they didn't because I feel like this, as I say, it, it's the best way to conclude the franchise. I mean, overall, I feel like it's a powerful way to end the franchise and I also think that Garris did a fantastic job with the direction and Stefano's screenplay works really well. Yeah, it's not a perfect film. It is flawed and I feel like it's a bit of a shame and perhaps I'm wrong about this, but maybe because it was a TV film and it didn't get as much exposure as the other sequels did, um... It, it kind of it's I hate using this term because I don't believe that anything's forgotten nowadays. But it kind of feels like it is the forgotten sequel. I don't see it talked about as much as Psycho Two or Psycho Three. Whereas I feel like this this one has a little a lot more depth to it than those films, and that's why I wanted to talk about it to be honest because I feel like it it deserved that attention, especially with the the cast that they had for it, the, like the performances from everybody, and especially Olivia Hussey and Anthony Perkins. But it's just, yeah, it's just a shame that it doesn't get that that sort of attention, to be honest. And it's beautifully edited as well. I think that it's just, especially um, the opening titles. And that, believe it or not, this is the only sequel that has Bernard Herrmann's original score in it as well. And that's probably something else about the other films that I just didn't like. To me, I just can't imagine Psycho without... That's the the you know the shrill stringy score. Um, I just I just don't think it works, and that's probably another reason why like for me Bates Motel just it, it doesn't work as well. And music to me with horror, I think it's everything. I think that you know you could tell the best story in the world, but if you don't have the right score, it just doesn't work as well. And here they use it sparingly. But when they do use it, it it really does work. Like the opening montage of um, Norman just picking up a knife uh, around his kitchen, his birthday cake with the red lettering, you know, those allusions to blood, it just works really well. But of course, that wasn't the end of Psycho, because only eight years later, Gus Van Sant made a shot-for-shot colorized remake of the first film, um, which... (laughs) I'll admit, it was the first... I saw this before I saw any of the Psycho films, and I didn't think much of it, to be honest, at the time. And then it was years later I watched the original and obviously fell in love with the film and the way it was it was filmed and the music and all that sort of stuff. But with the remake, and I'll use that term loosely, um, I'll just, yeah, it's basically just shot for shot of the original film, more or less. It... Everybody in that film wasn't right for the roles they were playing at all. And it just comes across like they can't be arsed. <laughs> um, and it's just, yeah, I, like for me, 
I just feel like with the Bates Motel TV series, as I say, it's it's good with some of the ideas, but it's just very much soapy drama. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I just think if you're going to do a psycho show or a psycho film, it needs to have a little bit more to it than that. And I'm under no illusion that I'm sure we'll get some new version of Psycho in the future, but for me, this was the the conclusion to the franchise that I think it deserved and I just I'm I'm hoping that after this a couple of you will try and check it out it's it's quite a rarity in the UK I believe it was released on the DVD box set a couple uh, many years ago now and it just um it's not on any streaming uh, sites or anything like that but you know if you can check out Psycho 4 and you do enjoy the original film please check out this film and I promise you won't be disappointed all right, guys. Well, that's the end of this week's episode. I hope you uh, enjoyed my commentary on Psycho 4. And I'll be back next week with another episode of Slashic Horror.